Good morning. My name is Chuck Jacks. Uh, my wife Dolly and I have been uh, at Joy now for uh, about 15 years, since 2008. Um, privileged to serve here as a deacon and uh, to have this opportunity to uh, read the sermon passage to you this morning in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrew because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of the church of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this body. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to serve one another, uh, not only deacons and elders, but all of us to serve one another as we build your church and and participate with you in building your church before a watching world. Father, we ask this morning that you you be with Jason as he brings your word and that you give us uh, hearts and minds to hear and receive your word. Kids, you out there? You awake? So imagine, uh, kids, that your mom or dad comes to you and says, uh, okay, kids, up to this point, I've been able to take care of getting you clothing and food for all of your life. I've, been, I've taken care of clothes and food for you. Uh, I can't do it anymore. I I can't do it. We need to make a decision as a family. Clothes or food? Which one do you want? So what are you picking? (laughs) You say food? I think you'd have to say, if you you really sat and pondered this, you know, you'd have to say like, well, we kind of need food. Like we're going to need we're going to need food to survive. So if I have to pick one, I'm picking food. But that leaves you without what? Right, clothes, which also are relatively important in our society. Uh, so if if you picked food, 
Would it be right for me to say to you, oh, so you don't think clothes are important anymore? No. Of course not. In today's passage, the young Christian church faces an internal struggle. The Word of God is going forward. The church is being built. But there is turmoil within. And we're going to spend the rest of this morning's sermon considering, this is it, here's my outline, two problems that we see in this passage, two solutions that get proposed, and five results. Now if you're a math whiz, two plus two plus five, what do you got? It's a nine-point sermon, folks. <laughs> so, yes, if you brought a, if you brought a snack, no. Uh, I promise you that uh, though it is a nine-point sermon, the last, especially the last five are going to be quick hitters. Two problems that we see in this passage, two solutions that are proposed. And, and I want to make clear, the problems that are seen in this passage uh, be- are because, I used that analogy at the beginning, there's two important matters that need to be addressed. And they seem to be in conflict with each other at the start of this passage. So two problems, two solutions, five results. Proper church structure is by no means a guarantee of God-honoring work. But among those whom He has called to be the church, God is gracious to provide us with wisdom, structures, and offices that help us in glorifying His name. Uh, If these are not here in chapter 6 of Acts, the original elders and deacons, they most certainly provide us with a model for the office of elder and deacon. And it's a good thing that the Lord provides leaders for His people and structures from which to work. It's a good thing that the congregation of believers are supposed to be full participants in the work of the Lord. It's a good thing that every part of the work of the church does not fall on one person or on one group of people. And it's a wonderful thing that the gospel of Jesus Christ unites and empowers the mission of the church inside and outside its walls. So let's begin with the problems that are posed in this passage. Do you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 6? If you don't, you should. Acts chapter 6. The first problem that we find in this passage is found in verse 1. As the young church is growing, a complaint arises from the Hellenists against the Hebrews. So I guess we should stop right there, right? Who are the Hellenists and the Hebrews? Who are these people? The Hellenists were Jewish people. These are all Jewish believers. Let's start there. All Jewish believers. The Hellenists are uh, Jewish now believers in Christ who predominantly spoke Greek. That was their primary language. Many of them had either descended from or come from those in the scattered places called the diaspora, the diaspora. Uh, Jewish people scattered throughout the known world. Okay, And Greek would have been their predominant language. The Hebrews would have been Israel-based Jewish people 
who are now believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? So you got that? Then Hebrew would have been their first language. That would have been their primary language. Hebrew. So these are two groups who are already at odds with one another. Those who were the Hebrews would have been inclined maybe to see the Hellenists as kind of worldly. You don't speak our language. You're too invested in the rest of the world. Maybe you're less Jewish than we are. So the Hellenists in the young church bring this complaint against the Hebrews. What's the complaint? Yes, our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. So I guess we should stop again. What's that mean? What's the daily distribution? The widows and orphans of the church were having their daily needs met by the church. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how there was not a needy person among the church because as needs arose, those who had the means provided for those who did not. And this is an example of that. Daily distribution was they were making sure that every single member of the body of Christ had their daily needs met. Their food was provided for them. The early Christian church did not invent this. This is a reflection of the heart of God expressed over and over and over in the Old Testament. They learned these practices as, presumably, faithful Jews. The community of the faithful were supposed to provide for one another, take care of one another, knowing that, they, well, actually, I, I saw that. I was in my reading this week. Maybe some of you are reading the book of Deuteronomy right now in your reading. Deuteronomy chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. This is the word, word of the Lord through Moses to the people of Israel as they're about to take the promised land. Deuteronomy 10.14 Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow." And loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. So you see, and you, there are tons of passages we could point to. It is in the heart of God. He expresses to his people over and over throughout the scriptures Care for the least. Care for those who might be neglected. Care for those who might slip through the cracks. Why? Because that's, that's the heart of God. And, and why? Why should you be the people to do it? Because you were neglected. You were destitute. You were without hope. And God saw fit to care for you. Spiritually, 
physically. Over and over and over again, the heart of God is expressed in the Scriptures. Telling His people, you were spiritually destitute and I took you in. Because of what? Because of how great you were? Contrary to how great you were. Because you were not great. The apostles were continuing what they had learned and seen, hopefully, in action as faithful Jews. No one was to go without. But some were being neglected. That's the problem that's brought here. Because of their status, it seems, as outsiders. Less desirable. This passage shows us, I want want to note a few things about this problem. This passage shows us that there will be disagreement in the church, even among spirit-filled believers. We are all people. We all still struggle with besetting selfishness and sin. We all have certain biases, areas of life that need correction and exposure. Some of us have biases that we don't even recognize that the Lord needs to expose. And it's a remarkable work of the Holy Spirit through the regeneration of faith that all dividing lines are torn down in Christ. All the things that we might say like, I'm better than you because... All the ways we might evaluate our own status as better than the status of another, torn down in Christ. Level ground at the foot of the cross. Reminded that there is no difference between the Hebrew believers and the Hellenist believers. They're all saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? There is no difference. Paul talks later. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2 is a great chapter for this, right? The Ephesians chapter 2, he's, he's, this church in Ephesus is, is filled, it has Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and Paul is urging them to remember that in Christ, that wall that divided you has been torn down. All are saved by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ alone. So there is no Jew or Gentile, Roman or barbarian, slave or free, male or female. All ground for boasting or dividing is removed at the cross. To be clear, this doesn't mean that there's no distinctions. Men are still men. Women are still women. The Hellenists were the Hellenists. The Hebrews were the Hebrews. That was okay. But all were on level ground as far as it was before the Lord through Christ. The Hebrew believer could not say to the Hellenist believer, when you become more like me, like when you start speaking Hebrew as a first language, then we'll see about getting you some food. Right? Then then we'll see about making sure you get the daily distribution. No, indeed. Because all were needy and all found mercy and grace, the same mercy and grace in Jesus. All who believe are on level ground. All are worthy of care and support. Think of disagreements you've been a part of or seen in the church. Why did they happen? What was the solution? How does the Gospel shape our solution to the problem? I also want us to see in here that this dispute would absolutely threaten to rip apart the young church. This is a big deal. Satan comes to steal and to kill and to divide. 
and devour. And he, go, he targets the church. He is pleased by disunity among those who profess to follow Christ. It's vital for the, the solution to be found here and for the, for the glory of God to be seen in them coming to a unified agreement. And it's for the good of the church. So the whole church is also involved in this process. I want you to see that too, right? Look, at, look in here. It says the complaint is brought to who? Who, who does the complaint come to? To the twelve apostles. And who do the apostles bring the complaint to? Everybody. It says the, the apostles bring the complaint. It says, verse 2, the twelve summon the full number of the disciples. So this complaint is brought to the twelve. They bring it to the church. The whole church is involved in what happens next. This is the first time, by the way, it's a little side note. In verse 2, that's the first time in the book of Acts that the word disciple is used. And then it will be used many times after that. 200 times. So problem, problem one is the complaint that has arisen. And problem two is that this issue is, keep, is threatening to keep the apostles from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right? The apostles say, look, uh, verse 2. It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. At first blush, this doesn't come across, or, or does this come across to you? Like, did you read this and say, uh, let's say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. What, what, what mindset comes to your mind uh, when you read that sentence? What, what attitude seems to come to your mind. What's that? Yeah, I hear a few different things. So position, different positions. Uh, less than, did I hear somebody say less than? A little condescending. A little like, oh, we, we're too good to wait tables around here. We're too good for that. Uh, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think that's it at all. Uh, the apostles were tasked with a mission by Jesus. Jesus gave them a mission to preach the gospel, to lead the church in the ministry of the word, to be men of prayer. Administrative matters were pushing in on them in such a way that this call might be hindered. And I think a good comparison is seen in the Old Testament when we consider uh, the, the life and ministry of Moses. Moses was consumed with matters involving all the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 18. And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and advises him that he's, going, he's getting worn down by doing this all the time. He can't handle all of this. Maybe even consumed by it. So he appoints other judges to decide on less weighty matters. And if a substantial matter arises, it's brought to Moses. Tending to matters such as this one was going to hinder the apostles from their calling. But these widows are unfed. Is that unimportant? They're being unfed and they're being discriminated against. And that's a real problem in the young church that needed to be solved. So what are the solutions? So we got the problems. What are the solutions? The apostles bring a solution to the body. 
Look in your Bibles. Hopefully you still have them open. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The solution that they bring up is, let's pick seven men of good repute who are going to take care of this matter. Serving tables, it was not, the apostles were not saying, this is not important to us. This doesn't matter to us. As a matter of fact, they were about to show that it matters a lot to them. So much so that they were going to form a group that was going to take care of it. That was going to take care of this matter. Delegating was not the apostles' way of saying they don't care. It was the apostles' way, and it wasn't their way, by the way, of saying it was beneath them. It was not their way of saying, like, we're not, we're not consumed with that kind of trivial matter. There's no, that was not what they were saying. It was their way of highlighting the importance of the matter. That they were going to choose a group that was going to oversee it. They could not realistically be committed to the word, to prayer, and to the management of food distribution. And they could not forsake the word and prayer. They couldn't do it all. And instead of saying, listen, that's not what we're about here. That's not what we're about here. We, listen, we, we, if we get people fed, we get people fed. But we've got to keep preaching the Word of God. They didn't say that. They didn't say if our people eat, they eat. If they don't, they don't. They ensure that all will be well cared for and that it will happen equitably. Our desire here at Joy is to make sure, make sure that the ministry of the Word and prayer is not neglected. God forbid it ever would be. But one of the outworkings of gospel fruit among a body is that the body is committed to meeting the needs of one another and providing ways to make it happen. The apostles are going to leave the work now in the hands of the congregation. They say, pick out from among you. So we have the full number gathered, and they say to the congregation, you pick out from among you. They lay the groundwork and the parameters, and the congregation chooses. A local church does not function well or as God intended when the leaders or just a few are doing all the work of the ministry. We are called to what Paul lays out in Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles open, turn over to Ephesians 4. I'll read starting verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the call of the church, is that the apostles, the, those who are leaders, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That, that is our calling. That's what the apostles are doing here. They are equipping the saints. They're calling the saints to the work of ministry. So they say, choose seven men from among you. And then they put some key parameters and qualifications forward. These men must be men of good repute. They must have a good reputation. Full of the Spirit. Known to be believers in Christ. Full of wisdom. The men who would be put forward would not be a shock to the congregation. That's, that's the point here. That if, if it's like, you know, they were known. It wasn't somebody that's, that's oh wow, that, that guy's going to be one of the seven? It would be known that they were already serving the body well. That they were already uh, very influential, very well respected, known as wise people. Maybe not known by every single person, but every person who knew him, among them he had a good reputation. They were upright in character, known to be walking with the Lord, known to be wise. And whether these seven are the original deacons or simply the, the model for deacon ministry in churches going forward, the point stays the same. We read it earlier in 1 Timothy. In church officers, character matters. Reputation matters. Faith matters. Wisdom matters. When we put forward candidates for deacon or elder in the body here at Joy, they have a period of, of evaluation from the body, followed by congregational affirmation from the body. We do so because we believe this. Examine the lives of all leaders. When considering potential leaders, examine their lives. Character matters. Most of the qualifications we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, most of them, if not all, or disqualifications have to do with what? Character. Also notice those who are set forward. Look at the names. Did anything strike you as you read that list of names? Aside from, I'm glad Chuck was reading it and not me. Those names all have a, a certain sound to them. Not that you, you might not know this. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect you all to know this. But we have Stephen, right? A man full of the faith, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to get to know Stephen much better next week. In next week's passage, we're going to read about Stephen. Uh, then we have Philip. Uh, Jeff's going to spend a couple weeks on Philip after, after Easter. Um, and then these other names, which I will not re-pronounce, and we can't say this definitively, but it sure seems that most of these names, if not all, are on the Hellenistic-sounding side of things. 
Interesting. It makes a lot of sense that they would put forward those who could best represent those who were being overlooked, those who were being neglected. The call on the church is always to ensure that none slip through the cracks, spiritually or in areas of physical provision. And when it's pointed out to us, to address it and bring correction. A love for the whole body is seen in this. They could have picked out seven Hebrews and just said, like, yeah, they'll be, they'll be fine. They'll take care of it. But the body seemed to trend toward, we want to make sure that this, this really is addressed and corrected. And the apostles then confirm this decision and this action by praying and laying hands on these men. They were being consecrated, set aside for this work, having been put forward by the body and blessed by the apostles. It was a decision supported by the whole body. Everybody was in on this decision. So that was one solution. They, they appoint the seven. The other solution is found in verse 4. But we, it says... But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles were not going to be consumed by this matter. They were going to stay focused. Consider the following thoughts. As the apostles say, we will, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Consider the following thoughts. A church that lacks focus on the ministry of the Word is going to go off the rails. The church is, if we had read a few verses further in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. The church is meant to defend and proclaim the truth in this world. Why not just get real focused on feeding the poor? I mean, isn't that a really good thing to do? Is that a really good thing to do? Yes. That is a really good thing to do. But why don't we just say, like, that seems much more important. Giving people food seems much more important. So let's just devote our energies there. And if other stuff happens, it happens. Well, I'll tell you this. Because we're not a humanitarian organization. Feeding the poor without sharing the hope of Christ is ultimately just humanitarian work. Ultimately, it leaves the soul destitute, does not provide for man's greatest need, as man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The apostles were tasked with spiritually feeding the body, and evangelizing to the lost. The Word they preached, when it says the Word, right? We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What's it, what does the, uh, Peter mean there when he says that? Well, we're assuming it's Peter. What's that? So the Bible, it, I, that's what comes to mind, right? The Old Testament Scriptures, the Old Testament that they had there, we're going to devote ourselves, and then they, they would have the letters that would come later. Uh, they were going to devote themselves to that. But, but I, want to say, I want to take it a step further. The word they preached was not simply the Old Testament, but the word of Christ. 
the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The people could go to the temple to hear teaching on the Old Testament. They could have their rabbis teach them the Old Testament. But the apostles were commissioned to show the church and the world Christ in all of Scripture. Mankind's greatest need and God's amazing provision. Jesus is wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Everything we have is found through faith in Him alone. He is the Savior of the world. And they were commissioned not just to preach the Old Testament, but to show the people Christ in all of the Scriptures. To preach the Gospel of Jesus. They were not to be diverted from that. Everything we have is found through faith in Him alone. And so to step away from that in order to serve tables would be to leave the people without hope, without life. And so they must be devoted to the ministry of the Word. They must also be devoted to the ministry of prayer. A church that is prayerless in its leadership says that they have really no need for the Lord to do anything. They can do it on their own. We don't need them. I don't know how many of us need to hear that. How many of us functionally live our lives? I don't need, I don't need God. I do what I do. I come across certain situations where I should pray because I can't make it, I can't fix it myself. Our ambition as church leaders is to model dependence and humility. And actually to be people who are dependent and humble. Jesus said that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And we desire to be exemplary in this. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. I was just thinking of a practical example here. So our church is growing. And there are challenges. And we're wondering, you know, we planted a church a few years ago. And we're we're wondering what... What next? Are we going to plant another church? Or what's going to happen? We have ideas. We've got strong ideas. We've got possible solutions. And we need to execute them at some point. But we also need to lead the body in saying, this is a matter of prayer. Because we don't know. We're not positive of what we ought to do. We think we have an idea of what we ought to do. But we need to lay this before the Lord in prayer. Also, maybe, maybe there are some in the body who need to be reminded of James' words. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There is a call on church leaders to be men of prayer in that way, to go to those who are hurting and in need to be called upon. That invitation is open. We find great joy doing this for the body. We find great joy in praying for you in our meetings. And so the solution was, we're going to keep preaching and praying, and we're not going to neglect caring. That's the solution. Brothers and sisters, whatever church you are a part of, look for a church that has these components. Godly leadership, 
dependence upon the Lord, strong word ministry, care for all members, and involvement of the congregation. We make these our aspirations here. Uh, and, and though even in writing and, and in this morning, right, there's lots of conviction as to how we need to grow. But these components must be a part of a good church. So the problems have been prevent, presented, the solutions have been proposed and executed, and so what do we see? I told you this next part would go fast, I promise, because we still got five more points. What do we see as the results in this passage? So the problems are presented, the solutions are, are, come, are come up with, and now what are the results? Let's just work through them quickly. Verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering. So the whole gathering was pleased. That's number one. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Do you ever hear the saying, uh, you can't make everyone happy all the time? That's mostly true. In this case, everyone was happy. A fair and God-honoring plan was established. Church leadership should have many aims in shepherding the congregation. Many. Glory of God is at the top of the list. Whatever will glorify God. But just as the congregation is called to let the leaders lead with joy and not with groaning in the book of Hebrews, the call on leadership is also to labor for the good, the joy, and the unity of the members of the church. So, the gathering is pleased. Number two, verses 5-7, through seven, the congregation chose the seven and the apostles commissioned them. This was a work of the entire body. They did what they were supposed to do. Chosen and commissioned. Number three. The Word of God. Look, verse 7. The Word of God continued to increase. What does that mean? That's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? The Word of God continued to increase. What do you think that means? Yep, multi- so you got this word multiplying. It's, it's growing. The freedom of the apostles to do what they were supposed to do, to be men of the word and prayer, allowed the word of God to do what it was going to do. Think about like the parable of the soils, right? Parable of the soils. Jesus says that the seed is what? The word of God. The seed that fell on good soil did what? Multiplied. It produced a hundredfold, it says. The Word did what the Word does. So when it says here, the Word of God continued to increase, I think the parable of the soils is a good place to think of. The writer of Hebrews says that the Word of God is what? Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Ah. The Word was doing what it does. If they had to stop proclaiming the Word to meet this need, the Word would not increase. Now the Word is growing in that way too. It's getting out to other people, right? It continues to go out. 
People are coming face to face with their need. The apostles are preaching Christ in all of Scripture to their community. And it's, it's going to keep going out. Jesus is the promised Savior. The Word of God exposes us and the Word of God provides us with the healing ointment of the Gospel. And this was the work that the apostles were freed to do. Four. See, I told you these would be quick. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, it says in verse 7. The number of disciples multiplied. Now, we've talked. Every, every time we've been in the book of Acts, it seems like it's saying more disciples, more disciples, more disciples. Jerusalem is busting at the seams with followers of Christ at this point. The miraculous work of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel continued. Hearts were transformed. Faith was expressed. The word was bearing fruit in trusting Christ and in changed lives. Jerusalem is is now, it's like pulsating with believers. And I think we might see in the near future that God was preparing the Jerusalem church to bust out, to be sent out and scattered. And the final result we see in number five, or in verse seven, a great, the very last phrase, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a wonderful way to end this passage. To be clear, obedient to the faith does not mean that someone started following a set of rules associated with the Christian faith. This refers to someone placing their faith in Christ. That's what obedience to the faith is. Okay, if you, th- if you doubt that, I would encourage you to look later. I don't have time right now. Romans 1.5, Romans 16.26. Those are two verses that make it very clear that the obedience of faith is hearing the gospel and believing. Believing that Jesus is who He says He is. Believing that Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life, fully God and fully man. That His sacrificial death on the cross counts on behalf of all who believe for the forgiveness of sins. His victorious and real physical resurrection is a sign of God's victory over sin and the grave. That all who repent and believe will be counted as righteous in Him. Saved from the penalty that our sins deserve, and freed to a lifetime of of trusting in Him by His grace, filled with His Holy Spirit, and given the hope of eternal life. All who believe. That's the obedience of faith, is to trust that message. And who is it that became obedient to the faith? Again, a great many of the priests... This is amazing and glorious. What sect, we've learned this if you, if, you, if you listen for the last few weeks, many of the priests at that time were from what sect of the Jewish religion? Sadducees. What do you know about Sadducees? They didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. So I think that Luke includes this little phrase to say, Look at how amazing the gospel is. These guys don't even believe there's a resurrection from the dead. They didn't. And now they do. 
as the gospel went forward, their hearts were changed. They were changed. I want to be extremely careful how I say this. But the church properly functioning allows the grace of God to be extended to the most unlikely people. And by the grace of God, some of the most unlikely people are brought from darkness into light. And that's, that's great news. They were freed up to do that. Freed up to deliver that message. We know. Who are we? We're a gathering of the most unlikely. The priests were the epitome of darkness. But their sinful nature was no match for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lest we give up on some, be reminded that our God is in the business of saving the most unlikely. Who would you like to see? Under under here, we got a baptismal. Who would you like to see in the waters of baptism? Who have you said, ah, gave up on that person? I I don't even know if I pray for that person anymore because, I mean, not going to happen. Our God is in the business of saving the most unlikely people. And His work continues. Pray. Share the Gospel. Don't give up. There's a lot more I could say. But, but it is a blessing that the Lord provides leaders, servants, and a body of believers in His local churches. We all need each other. And may it be that we remain devoted to what He wants us devoted to with the great aims of His name being glorified, His people being unified and cared for, and His gospel going forward to all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the church. I thank You for elders and deacons. I thank You for uh, each member of the body. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to glorify You. I thank You even this morning that my failure, my shortcomings were brought in a, in a loving way. And I need to, to be repentant and grow and learn as a leader. Not exempt from needing grace and mercy. So, Father, I pray that You would uh, use that for my good, for the good of the body. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit who unites us. I thank You for Your consistent desire to do whatever it takes to protect the unity of Your people. And so I pray, Father, that You would do that work among us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be reminded that the Gospel is powerful, is Your Word unto salvation. Help us to remember, Lord, uh, that we are called to love and care for one another in all areas of life as well. Thank you, Father, for this time and pray for your blessing on your word as it has gone forth. I pray that it was faithful to your word. Continue to work in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.